Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on this year program, uh, we got to move on and, and talk somewhat about, well, it, it's economic related. It goes to some of what we've talked about some today. We need to talk about gas. No, no, not that kind. I didn't have chili this weekend. The Braves chili dogs have are out of my system. Not talking about that. By the way, so I, I just, as an aside, I have to say, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day. He was was listening in the car, and, and he, he and I are taking a, a fly fishing trip in November. His wife was asking him. His wife's completely apolitical. And turned on the radio, and there I was talking about the, the indigestion from the Braves chili dogs. She said, really? Change the channel. Lesson learned. Don't start your show talking about Braves chili dogs. But... Nonetheless, talking about natural gas, there is a story uh, we should all be paying attention to near the tip of Nigeria's Bonny Island, an arrowhead speck of land where the Atlantic Ocean meets the Niger Delta. A giant plant last year produced enough liquefied natural gas to heat half the UK for the winter. Most of it was shipped out of the country with Spain, France, and Portugal, the biggest buyers. Just 17 miles away in the town of Bodo, residents still use black market kerosene and diesel to light wood stoves and power electricity generators. The fuel is manufactured with crude stolen from the foreign energy giants, Shell, Eni, and Total Energies, that co-own the Bonny Island facility along with the Nigerian government. The gas here goes to Bonny in Europe to power homes and industries, but we have no benefits from it, uh, said Puyas Dimka, the chairman of Boda's local community development committee. Nothing comes to us. It gets stolen by them as a result. Nigeria has 3% of the world's proven gas reserves, yet has tapped almost none of it. Like most African countries, what has been extracted is mostly sent to Europe, which now wants to import even more to make up supplies lost from Moscow. Italy in April struck fresh deals to buy gas from Angola and the Republic of Congo, while Germany's been looking to secure supplies from Senegal. That's despite discouraging the use of gas and other fossil fuels around the world in pursuit of climate goals. Here now is the problem. For years, white, rich, European, and American elite have been demanding that Africa stay in poverty to protect the world. When you look at a map or even look at the look at a globe, it's kind of hard to fathom just how big Africa is. It is in reality the largest continent. Basically, Europe and North America fit inside the African continent. It's it's huge. It's huge. And it is a poor continent. There are sparks of prosperity there, South Africa, Kenya, Egypt. Not great, but okay. Africa is a poor continent. Africa was treated terribly by colonial rule of the Belgians and the Germans. 
the uh, British colonies actually are the, the best. I mean, this is a history of, of post-colonial globalization is those former British colonies tend to outperform all the others. Why? Well, because Britain instilled in them civic democratic values. The others just wanted to uh, steal from them, take their land, and, and Britain really gets a bad rap because of the British Empire. The British Empire was actually a stabilizing force on the planet. I know you get called a racist to point that out these days, but compare the former colonies of, of Germany, Belgium, Italy, and the like. The British just, just come out on top in terms of stable governments post-colonial era. And now Europe, having really done a, a series of terrible things to African nations over the years, and frankly, uh, African dictators doing terrible things to their own people, the Europeans and the Americans basically say, you got to stay in poverty. Sorry, you can't have an air conditioner. That would be bad for the planet. Look at DDT. Uh, listen, I'm an advocate of, of low-yield DDT. It drives environmentalists crazy. What's her name who wrote that book? What was the, the name of the book? Silent Spring. What was the name of the, the woman who wrote this? Um, Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson uh, wrote this book, Silent Spring, about the horrors of DDT and has killed a whole lot of people because of it. Scared the bejesus out of Western white elites into banning DDT. Yes, there are problems with overuse of DDT and, and the indiscriminate use of pesticides, but we could deal with uh, malaria in Africa had they just sprayed DDT instead, the Western white solution, and it is, by the way, mostly rich white people in the West, and ah, just put them under mosquito nets at night. They'll be fine. Don't give them air conditioners, though. We don't want them inside in the cold because that, that those air conditioners will put a hole in the ozone and kill us all. So the rich countries in Europe have told the Africans for years, no, you can't export your natural gas. We want your oil, but keep your gas underground. It'd be bad for the environment. We don't want it. You don't want it. Keep it there. We're not going to pay you to keep it there, but we're just not going to buy it. And no one else is either because, you know, who cares if it would alleviate your poverty and kill the planet, bad for the environment. We'll send Greta Thunberg to scowl at you. Now, the Europeans got in their dependency on Russia, and they're looking down at Africa, and they're like, oh, why? why haven't you guys gotten that natural gas out of the ground yet? Come on. This is from Bloomberg. Rich countries have been reluctant to fund pipelines and power plants that would facilitate the use of gas in Africa because of its emissions, yet haven't delivered on promises to help finance green projects as an alternate source of energy. Europe's awkward position was on display at the Group of Seven Leader Summit last month. The world's most advanced economies walked back a climate commitment to halt financing for overseas fossil fuel projects, but indicated that exceptions would likely apply to projects that would allow more shipment of liquid natural gas to their countries. In another climb down, European Union lawmakers recently voted to classify gas and nuclear energy products or projects within the block as green investments. That approach has irked African leaders who need fuel, any fuel, to lift millions out of poverty. We need long-term partnership, not inconsistency and contradiction on green energy policy from the UK and European Na Union, Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari said in written comments. It does not help their energy security. It does not help Nigeria's economy. And it does not help the environment. It's hypocrisy that must end. Now, 
Bloomberg points out sub-Saharan African governments share the blame for their underutilized gas reserves. Few countries have invested in or reformed their power or oil or gas sectors, particularly Nigeria, where the Bonnie Island plant has run at least 20% below capacity since 2021 because of pipeline theft and vandalism. Many African leaders support boosting gas exports to help their cash-strapped governments, but they want access to financing, and Europe won't finance those problems or those projects. So, I mean, again, there is a level of colonialism still between European government elite and African nations. Africa is a poor, poor continent. The countries in Africa that do not have direct, solid, stable access to tourism, they don't do well. Nigeria, to a degree, does okay because Nigeria has big oil exports. South Africa does well because it's it's fairly modern. Having gone through apartheid, the nation did not collapse. So it's a, it's notoriously crime ridden these days, uh, but and government corruption on the rise there. But it's it's a fairly prosperous nation. It became because of the embargoes and the like over apartheid fairly self sufficient and has remained that way. The um, North Africa, Middle Eastern countries, Egypt, Libya. Algeria, Morocco, many of them have access to oil and supplies. Libya, of course, not a great place. Cairo and Egypt have a lot of turmoil. But actually, with Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, they're on the Mediterranean. They have trade route access into Europe more easily. Africa's a big place. It's got a lot of tribal claims, ethnicity claims, nationalist claims, religious um, variety there. You have Muslims coming in through the Sahara down further into Africa, causing problems in places like Nigeria, Benin, Burkina Faso, Niger. They've got problems. They've got corruption. They've got dictators. They are still dealing with the ramifications of colonialist rule, particularly the Germans and the Belgians and their brutal, brutal regimes. But they have vast resources that could help lift the people of Africa out of poverty. Not only that, they have vast resources that could help the whole world. Oil and natural gas, among other things. And what's going on? The colonial powers that ruled Africa have now embraced the cult of environmentalism And they've told these countries they must stay poor. Not only must they stay poor, their people must suffer for the greater good. They've embraced this woke eschatology of the left and the environmentalists that we can't have heaven on earth so long as there are filthy polluters out there, we're all going to die. And so the Africans must stay poor and impoverished and punished so that the Western elite can have nice things, except the Western elite are now spending so much money on basic needs, they can't have their nice things. So now suddenly they're telling the African nations, all right, now, now you can do it, but only for a short time. There is a path for American leadership here to get into these African nations and tell these African nations, 
we want to partner with you. We want more natural gas. We want more oil. We want more fossil fuels. We will fund the projects. We will build the projects. We will train up your people. We will educate your people. We will make you self-sufficient so that we can share in your energy wealth. George W. Bush, probably the greatest American president for the entire African continent, his AIDS initiatives and energy initiatives brought wealth to African nations and solved the AIDS crisis running rampant in sub-Saharan Africa. Really remarkable program. He did great. And then Obama came in and sought to undermine all of those programs. Donald Trump came in and, and revived a number of those programs. Donald Trump wanted to work with African nations and export their oil and natural gas. And he largely was pressured by European allies of ours to say, no, no, it'd be bad for the planet if you did. It'd be bad for the planet if those Africans got wealthy. Uh, the racism of the European elite. But now the European elite need those African nations, and we could exercise real leadership around the world to get these people out of poverty and draw them to the West. And we're nodding. You know who's doing it now? China. China has seen the strategic interest in helping African nations out of poverty and getting their oil and gas. China is willing to fund the projects and make the loans that the Europeans have tamped down on. China is the one willing to tell the African nations, you go on, spray the DDT, kill the insects that are killing your crops and giving your people malaria. I will turn a blind eye to it. China is the one doing the things that the West should be doing, but the West so involved and self-absorbed in their own ideas and their own luxuries, they don't want Africa to do it because they're worried about what would happen to planet Earth. Planet Earth will be fine. The Africans could be better off as a continental people. The Western elite could have access to all sorts of energy and bring costs down. Only now do they want it because they don't want to be dependent on Russia. But the Chinese are on their A game here. We could learn something from that. And we could take some of the Chinese loyalty that is developing in Africa, turn it our way as a tr strategic play. But no, no, the Western elite, they're so worried about climate change. They're not worried at all about China making inroads there. Meanwhile, so many people in Africa just want enough money to survive a day without having to worry about illness and starvation. And it's the West that could play a role here, helping these people become self-sufficient. And they refuse because of their own cults and ideologies. Yes, you should. I don't even know what recipe I'm going to be sitting out, but I will find a good recipe to send out this week. I promise. The phone number here, 877-973-7425. If you wanted to be on this here program, you're more than welcome to at least attempt to get on the program. Um, there is some news you should probably know. The jobs report in minutes from the Federal Reserve's June meeting have shown there's a problem. Uh, the problem is that the rate of repossessions of vehicles has gone up pretty significantly. That's always a warning sign in the economy. When repos for cars go up, means people are now struggling to pay their bills. And this is starting to happen. And it's a warning sign in the economy. And there are lots of warning signs in the economy at this point that we need to be mindful of um, as everything gets 
more and more chaotic out there. Now, why? Um, well, people are struggling to pay their bills now. They're struggling for gas and groceries. And a lot of people just can't afford stuff. Now, this is going to have some cataclysmic effects in the uh, economy out there. If this continues on, the Federal Reserve is looking at all of this stuff. And one of the big issues for the Federal Reserve, too, is how much should they raise interest rates next? The economy doesn't seem like it's in a recession. The Atlanta Federal Reserve data suggests that maybe the economy uh, two quarters in a row uh, shrank, that is definitionally a recession, but the Atlanta Reserve's data is not the final arbiter of the numbers. We'll find out soon enough. It doesn't look like we're in one, and if we are in one, it doesn't look like it's the one that's going to be triggered by interest rate hikes. So the Federal Reserve is in a very difficult position. They've got to stamp out the inflation. Inflation long-term, if it's not brought down, is going to crush us. But a recession while inflation is going up, is also not good. And it looks like they're going to have a harder and harder time easing on the brakes to try to slow down the economy without triggering some sort of economic calamity. And this is one of the big warning signs. Lucky Lopez is a car dealer who's been in the business for 20 years. In recent meetings with bankers where he bids on repossessed vehicles before they go to auction, he's noticed some common characteristics of the defaulted loans. Most of the loans on recently repossessed cars originated during 2020-2021, whereas origination dates are normally scattered because people fall on hard times at different times. Loan-to-value ratios, or the amount financed relative to the value of the vehicles, are around 140% versus a more normal 80%. Many of the loans were extended to buyers who had temporary pops in income during the pandemic. Those monthly incomes fell, sometimes by half, as pandemic stimulus programs stopped, and now they look even worse on an inflation-adjusted basis, and as the prices of basics, in particular, are climbing. There's another fallout from Biden's major stimulus program. There's another fallout from Biden giving so many checks to so many people, who then use that as income to take loans out that they now cannot afford to pay back. There's just sort of ricocheting, all sorts of problems out there right now. And we're going to have more as time comes on. And all of this comes as something just seems to be broken in society right now. I want to talk about that when we come back. I'll try to cheer it up, but I mean, between the bodega owner in New York getting charged with murder and the story about the suicide hotline, uh, we got some dark times right now in the country. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. 877-973-7425. Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> Uh, someone's offended by me talking about rich white people in a pejorative. Look, I want to be a rich white person. It's aspirational to be, but also grounded a little bit in reality. My goodness gracious. Um, I mean, it, it really is. Um, there's a particular demographic. They are rich, white, college-educated, probably post-grad people who are secular, and they are the, the technocratic elite in the world. And as they have risen in command of the world uh, from European to American elites, the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket under their leadership. 
I cannot remember who it was. I've been racking my brain trying to figure it out. I'm sure one of you is, is smart enough to know who it is. But there was someone, uh, an economics philosopher, who pointed out that, you know, we will not transition from free market capitalism to communism or socialism. What we'll actually do is what we've done, which is transition to the rise of technocrats. And the technocrats will upend and destroy the free market, and it will bring us more towards socialism, but not even really fully to socialism. It will look more and more like it, but it will not be it. Instead, what it will be will be an elite group of bureaucrats and technocrats who think that they can flip levers and switches and steer the economy in a way they see fit. And they can pick the winners and they can pick the losers. Outwardly, it might appear somewhat to be socialism, but socialism promises, although it's never really worked, a a big social safety net. And we're not going to get that either. And we have arrived at that point. Uh, the, the secular elite in this country who overwhelmingly are white, overwhelmingly wealthy, overwhelmingly secular, overwhelmingly progressive in the worldview, they have installed a bunch of technocrats, and those technocrats think that they can guide the economy in a way that you and I are incapable of doing through the arm's length free market exchange of ideas and money uh, to compete for our own interests. The way the free market is supposed to work is you and I, in arm's length transactions with each other, contract with each other to make decisions that we believe are in our best interest. And me working in my best interest and you working in your best interest together do what's in the best interest of this country and in the best interest of the people of the country. That's what it's supposed to be. And instead, what it has become is the government said, oh, well, this company's got a really good idea. We should give them a subsidy in the tax code that gives them a competitive advantage that takes them outside the free market. And then the government wants to subsidize our own existence. This is a problem. This is a real problem. And we have societal breakdown in the process. In New York City, a bodega owner who was stabbed is being charged with a homicide. His name is uh, Jose Alba. He's facing murder charges for fighting off an assailant. He suffered from stab wounds he sustained during the attack. And they are potentially infected after a stint on Rikers Island where he wasn't treated. All he had to treat the wounds were hot water. He was an elderly man. He's 61 years old. He's happy to be home now. He has a roommate named Tony. By all accounts, he's hardworking, works every night. Last Friday, while he was working behind the counter at the Blue Moon Bodega in Hamilton Heights, he got into an argument with a woman. She had trouble paying for a bag of chips and asked if she could open a tab. Alba declined. The woman's boyfriend, Austin Simon, 35, came into the store went behind the counter and attacked Jose Alba. The worker tried to fight him off. 
uh, and he stabbed Simon five times. At some point, Simon's girlfriend pulled a knife from her purse and jumped into the fray, stabbing Alba several times in the shoulder and hand. Alba says he was acting in self-defense. He opened fire and saved himself, and now he may go to jail for murder because of it. How is he the bad guy? How is he the bad guy? He shouldn't be the bad guy, by the way. He shouldn't be the bad guy here. But we're in societal collapse. And part of that societal collapse as well is these elite in this country picking the winners and losers in society in general. So the bodega owner who's an immigrant happened to have a gun. The elite don't like guns. Therefore, this guy is the bad guy because he defended himself with a gun. Now there's this in the Wall Street Journal. Health officials preparing to broaden the reach of a national mental health crisis line are working to strengthen an overstretched network of call centers that didn't connect with about one in six callers in recent years. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline will transition on July 16th to a three-digit number for calls and texts, 988. From the 10-digit number, it's operated since 2005 in co coordination with local crisis centers. The line's operators, including the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the nonprofit Vibrant Emotional Health, said they expect an increase in calls once they move to the more memorable 988. Stress, suffering, and disruption of routines during the pandemic has worsened people's mental health. The network of about 200 call centers that answer calls to the line is already under strain. Some 1.5 million of 9.2 million calls between 2016 and 2021 were abandoned by callers or disconnected before a counselor could respond. In 11 states, the majority of calls were routed to one of 13 national backup centers from local centers to overtax to answer. Calls are first routed to local crisis centers based on area code and then forwarded to national backup centers if no one's available. Answering locally is always preferable. About three in four calls in Illinois were routed out of state from 2016 to 2021, the highest of any state. Nationally, just under 60% of calls to the crisis line were answered in state during that period. By the way, there's an there's an avenue here for churches in this country to help people. I'm not saying you need to get in the crisis pregnancy line or crisis crisis uh, hotline and share the gospel. They they wouldn't go for that, but a lot of churches could step up even in a secular world and have an impact here and help these people. Think about that. One in six calls are missed. Now, these are all unrelated stories. I, I get that they're co they're completely unrelated, but are they not all a sign of a society in crisis right now? The Democrats would have us believe through the way they pick the data that we're, we're experiencing an increase in mass shootings in the country. Now, I saw some data a friend of mine sent me the other day that shows that the, the nation, the states with the highest gun laws have the fewest shootings. The states with the most, with the least gun laws have the most shootings. And the way they arrange the data to fit their narrative is if someone dies, 
around a firearm, it's considered a death from a shooting. So, for example, if you follow the data and you do the deep dive in the data, let's say I'm near you and I fire my gun and you're unprepared for my gun to go off and it scares you so bad you drop dead of a heart attack. That's considered death from a shooting, according to the statistics. Let's say I clean my gun and accidentally shoot myself or someone else. Well, that's in the statistics now. Let's just say it's me and the police officer in a shootout. It's me and the police officer. We're in the shootout. Well, that's a mass shooting because more than one person died. They they rigged the numbers to try to show the data. But let's just take the data for face value at the moment. Let's say there's a rise in mass shootings in this country. Let's say uh, one in six calls to the suicide hotline go unanswered. There's so many calls coming in now. You got a bodega owner in New York. I'm sorry, I said fire. I said fire. Uh, he didn't have a gun. It was a knife. Thank you, thank you, Carolyn. Listening, emailed me. I I had I misread that. He he didn't have a gun. He stabbed the guy in response. The guy came in to attack him, and he fought back with a knife too. But take all these stories together. Take all these stories together. We have a national crisis on our hands, a collapse of civilization. You got to increase drug use in the country. You know, I know a guy, he's in the fitness industry. And he was saying he had started using uh, marijuana as legal in his state. He did not want to get addicted to Ambien or something like that. So he started using marijuana, non-habit forming marijuana uh, to go to sleep at night. First, he was doing it once a month. Then he was doing it once a week. Then he was doing it every day. It started impacting his memory. He started doing it more than once, and he started realizing that the the vape cartridges of marijuana that you can get are extremely potent. So, for example, if you're smoking a marijuana joint, it's got between 11 and 15% probably THC. One of these vape cartridges can be 80 to 98% THC. So uh, one hit on that is, is like smoking six joints, something like that. He said it started impacting his memory, started giving him anxiety, started giving him stress. It's becoming more and more common. People get used to it. Once on occasion, if it's legal, okay. Once every day, multiple times every day, starting to cause health problems, starting to cause mental health problems, starting to cause anxiety problems. We're in a nation that seems to have lost its way, and that seems to be part of the problem here. We don't have national leaders willing to paint a vision for this country. Uh, The vision that both leaders on the left and the right are painting is that the other side is bad. I'm good. Vote for me. The other side is bad. I'm going to save you from them. We are playing such short-term politics right now. You know, Barack Obama, for all of his faults, when he began to run for office, began to paint a vision of a better tomorrow. You or I might not have liked the vision, but inarguably, he wanted to paint a long-term vision of what the country could look like. And then even Barack Obama turned inward and decided to make it an us-versus-them argument. Uh, We're better than them. They're the enemy. Take a gun to a knife fight. We really, it's been a while since we've had national leaders wanting to show us a world that is better tomorrow. They all seem to be ashamed of the country in one way or another. Ashamed of each other, ashamed of us, ashamed of them. Where's the shining light 
the city on the hill that calls us to our best selves. We're missing that in our national conversation right now. We're really missing that. And part of it, I think, is this. We've all started looking so much to Washington. Washington is the be-all, end-all. We've forgotten to find joy in our local community. We've forgotten to be involved in our local community where we can see a real world on a daily basis improvements being made. We're not seeking the welfare of the city in which we live. We're trying to seek the welfare of the nation. And by seeking the welfare of the nation, which is far more abstract, certainly we have meets and bounds descriptions of what the nation actually is. But it's more abstract than your local community. And you're not going to find your value and joy in an abstract. It's part of the problem the Democrats have right now running for office. Republicans are running on the economy and jobs, real substantive things. The Democrats are running on abstractions people don't understand. And our national leaders of both parties seem to be running on abstractions. And in the process of running on abstractions to make it real or making it us versus them, we're good, they're bad. We must win, they must lose. Not a vision of an America where we can all rise together. And it's all warning signs for our nation's societal collapse. And there are ways to come back from it. But it takes leadership and a willingness to overcome cynicism. And at heart, what it really takes is you being willing to be not so obsessed with Washington so that you can make time to focus on improving your local community. And if everyone is engaged at the local level, improving their local community, It's like the free marketplace where you and I are doing arm's length transactions, each for our own benefit. And by me working for my benefit and that person working for their benefit, we work for the benefit of the country as a whole. You work for the benefit of your local community. Someone else works for the benefit of their local community. And over time, all of our local communities working for their own benefit, benefit the whole country as a whole. And we've lost that perspective. We've lost the idea of the arm's length transaction. We've lost the idea of us working for our own improvement in those arm's length transactions with the rest of society. Improves all of society. Instead, we look to Washington and say, fix it. And if we don't like the answer, well, they're the bad guy. The rally is... The bad guy is all of us together in society when we forget that we got a neighbor, we got a poor guy down the street, we got a battered women's shelter somewhere in our neighborhood, we got a food bank, we got a soup kitchen, we've got people in need in our own community, and maybe if we all just started looking there, everything else would take care of itself nationally as each of us looked locally, and that would fix our societal crisis. But why do that when we get on Twitter and rage about an old man falling off a bike in Washington, D.C.? It's not to say that old man doesn't have an impact. That old man in Washington has certainly messed up our economy. You're going to help people locally. You need to consider helping yourself as well. It's time to protect your retirement savings. So why you might want to reach out to my friends at Goldco and see if you're worried about your IRA, your 401k, or other retirement savings and the ebbs and flows of the market. You don't have a lot of options, but you can protect your money with physical gold and silver. If you call Goldco, 855-904-904. 5933, you'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at Goldco. Find out how you qualify for their special offer, 855-904-5933. They've been helping thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They can help you too. If you can't get the number down, if you're driving, just remember this, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Text that to 33777. I'll send you Gold Coast number back. Text Eric to 33777. I'll send you back their number. See if they're a good fit for you. This may be your most bizarre story of the day. The Church of England 
has taken a an official position on what it means to define a woman. What is the definition of a woman? The official Church of England definition of a woman is that there is no official definition. That's right. That's the new stance. That's right. Um, in a written reply to a question submitted to the Church of England General Synod, a senior bishop said that although the meaning of the word woman was previously thought to be self-evident, additional care was now needed. Reverend Angela Berners Wilson, England's first woman priest, said that she's not totally happy with the answer, but the issue is sensitive. Oh my gosh, really? I mean, state churches are not a good thing to begin with because eventually the state takes over the church and, and reflects the issues of the state, not the church or of God. But my gosh, you can't do your church. Jesus Christ said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And you're like, truthy? What's truth? It's truthy. It's truest. How about that? <laughs> um, gosh, what a bizarre thing. Um, you can't define what a woman is. Dr. Jane Hamlin, the president of the Beaumont Society, which supports transgender people, says, I'm so puzzled why some people are obsessed with defining woman. Why might this be an issue for the Church of England? Um, Because God made us male and female, man and woman in his likeness. Um, you kind of need definitions of the first things, and that's like Genesis 1. Just amazing how far off the rails so many people are going to placate like one-tenth of one percent of global society. It is, it's again, something rich white elite people do.